Hey everybody, we're still here at Jamstack Conf in San Francisco and I'm talking to Ire. Ire, do you want to just give a brief introduction, who you are, why you're important, all that stuff? <laughs> yeah, so hi everyone. Uh, my name is Ire. I'm a front-end developer. Uh, I live in Lagos, Nigeria. Um, oh, cool. Yeah, so I'm very jet-lagged right now. <laughs> <laughs> hey folks, this is Charles Maxwood and I just launched my book, Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. It's up on Amazon. We self-published it. I would love your support. If you want to go check it out, you can find it there. The Max Coder's Guide to Finding Your Dream Developer Job. Have a good one. Max out. So I work at Bycoins, which is a cryptocurrency exchange for Africa. Okay. So we're kind of similar to Coinbase, but we're mm -hmm. serving the Nigerian and soon-to-be African markets. Oh, cool. I have about a million questions about that, but I'm totally <laughs> going to skip them all. Okay. Um, you gave a lightning talk here at uh, Jamstack Conf. Do you want to just give us kind of the two-minute elevator pitch on what that's about? Okay, yeah. So, I mean, the title of my talk is really a mouthful. So it's, I think it's Headless Chrome and Cloudinary for Progressively Enhanced Dynamic content on the web. <laughs> yeah, that's a lot. Yeah, You exactly. want to break it down? <laughs> yeah. So basically, I was talking about a project I did. So I created an embed for Can I Use? So you can, on your website or blog or wherever, embed information from Can I Use? Uh -huh. And I was thinking about how I could progressively enhance that because it's reliant on JavaScript. Right. So the idea I had was to use uh, Puppeteer to get a screenshot of the embed and use Cloudinary to host that and serve that as like the fallback for if the embed never loads, if there's no JavaScript. So okay. it's like creating that progressive enhancement for the dynamic content on the web, yeah. Right. <laughs> now we have people at all stages of their careers. Do you want to just give a brief explanation of what progressive enhancement is? Yeah, so progressive enhancement is basically the approach of building your websites, your web apps or whatever, in a way that it works for as many different devices and browsers as possible. Mm -hmm. So instead of thinking like, okay, I'm going to build my site and I'm going to use React or something, when it's like a simple blog, for example. Right think about, oh, okay, well, React might not work in everywhere, so right. where can I start with that provides the base experience for right. the most amount of people, and then if the person is visiting in a browser that can actually handle React, then maybe add that, but start from a point where you're providing experience that works for everyone. That makes yeah. sense. So, so, yeah, essentially... The idea is, yeah, you start with the base experience, like you said, and then yeah. they get a nicer phone, they get on a little bit better network speed, you know, things like that, where, yeah, it can handle a little bit more, yeah, and then it just does yeah. more and more stuff. Yeah, exactly. It's about, like, enhancing the experience, as it says, like, in the name, <laughs> right? rather than um, starting from the end goal and then thinking, oh, how can I backtrack to make this work for other people? Because it's much harder to do it that way than to start from the base experience right. and improve up. No, that yeah. makes sense. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, you you have a basic experience that works and then yeah, it piles stuff on top of it instead of trying yeah. to pull it all back off. And exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so you get this uh, these systems and you said you essentially took a screenshot and then you would just embed the, the yeah. image of the widget? Yeah, exactly. So how does that work then? Because aren't people expecting the widgets to do things? Yeah, so um, it's primarily meant to be a, like a fallback or uh -huh. a 
So for example, the example I always give is that um, I use this on my blog very frequently and I send my blog out as uh, an email as well as you can oh, like, okay. have it in the actual site. If you're using it in the email, the embed is not going to work there right. because JavaScript is not going to work in your email inbox. So for that person, they would see the image. But if you go and visit the site, then you would have the embed that's more interactive and it. you can actually like get more information. Yeah. Yep. And then you just use Cloudinary to make sure that it's the right size and resolution for whatever medium they're going to use. Yeah, what's really cool about Cloudinary is that you can have many different like file formats, sizes, all of that. So I basically just upload the image to them and they handle all of that for me. And I can just say um, what I actually do is use the picture element, which allows you to provide like as many different sources that you want. So I right. try WebP. If the browser doesn't support WebP, it will try a PNG or JPEG or just mm -hmm. the regular image if, it, if right. the picture element isn't even supported. So it's a really nice way to try and provide the best experience for people in the browser that can actually have that experience and then also good experiences for people who are like using emails or whatever. Right. Yeah, and it seems like in a lot of cases when we're doing our own web development, you know, we're running on a really nice MacBook Pro or exactly. something like that, right? <laughs> so you don't even think about it and then it's like, well, you know, there are these people that live away from, you know, the technological hubs that don't have that kind of access or can't afford a nice device or things like that. And so, yeah, they, they have a different experience. And you don't even see it because you don't have a machine that, that operates that way. Yeah, exactly. It's um, it's very different, the people who develop the apps mm -hmm. than the people who use the apps. <laughs> right. So um, I think being in Nigeria has sort of helped me see that more, especially because like when I found out that Opera Mini was a thing, for example, right. that was like a huge shock to me. And then I realized, oh, wait, nobody is using like my thousand plus dollar macbook pro like right. especially if i'm building a product for the vast majority of nigerians most people use mobile devices anyway right. and most people use more lower end mobile devices so that was kind of like a wake-up call for me to realize oh wait i can try and if i'm building products for this market i can't just be like building for my laptop because right. nobody else is using that laptop it's just me yeah, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that makes sense. So how does this fit in with the idea of the Jamstack? Well, uh, the Jamstack is really interesting because it's almost like going, it's trying to focus on providing that fastest experience, I think, mm -hmm. because they move a lot of the, what used to be, I guess, client-side rendering. Mm -hmm. They try and move that to a build step. Right. So people using stuff like static site generators, mm -hmm. whereas... Like the, in the blog example, instead of using like React for your blog, you could use something like, I don't know, Gatsby or something, where right. all of that building of the site itself happens before it's actually deployed. So at right. the end, what the user sees is just a static website, which is the best and probably the most performance for especially that type of content. So I think Jamstack is really interesting and um, it's also really empowering for us as front-end developers mm -hmm. because it just enables us to do so much more without having to deal with those back-end people. Right. <laughs> yeah. Oh, the back-end people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, I've been one of those back-end people for a long time. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I mean, you know, with, with our content site, right, for the podcast, it we started out on WordPress and then moved into our own Ruby on Rails application, right? But then moved back to WordPress, and eventually it was, well, we kind of create the content once, and then we don't ever update it, right? Mm. <laughs> and so Jamstack made a lot of sense there. And then, like you said, right, then we can take that as the baseline experience, and we can, okay, now we're going to add this feature on, we're going to add this other feature on, and, you know, if, if you're on a device that doesn't support it, it just doesn't show up. Yeah. Super cool. So if I wanted to do some of the things in your approach, how do I get started? With progressive enhancements? Yeah. Um, hmm, that's a good that's a good question. <laughs> I guess it really does depend on what exactly it is you're trying to build. But the way I see it is ultimately the best thing you can ship to the browser is like HTML, right. CSS, mm -hmm. a little bit of JavaScript that isn't like dependent on right. like the site is independent on rather. So if you start from that like concept that the best thing that you can do is just ship plain HTML, CSS, then you can start to pile things on from there. Right. So as much as possible, like see how you can get that shipped before you think about how to improve. Yeah. yeah. Is there a place that people can go and see the example that you put together with Cloud Mary and Puppeteer? Yeah, so um, I wrote some articles about it. I'm probably going to do more because, as I mentioned in my talk, I recently, like from 3 a.m. this morning, decided mm -hmm. to change almost everything. <laughs> so, because I moved a bunch of things to Netlify functions. But what I would say is if you go to the repository, which is open source, so you can see what is there right now, it's just can I use embed. Or if you go to can I use .bits of code that's the site where it's posted and then you can go to the repo and everything from there and also like the blog itself i'll probably write more about it and you can just search there yeah cool and if people want to follow you online or see what you're working on these days are you on twitter and github and places like that yeah i'm on twitter um i, I can try and spell it it's just that it's really long <laughs> <laughs> but it's i r e a d e r i n o k u n <laughs> That is my Twitter handle. It's also right. like my domain name, so that.com. Yeah. yeah, and if you go to the Can I Use website, you can probably trace me from there. So yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, we have really good show notes, folks, so they can okay, transcribe cool. that. <laughs> yeah, It'll also. be in the show notes. <laughs> okay, good. <laughs> so, yeah, folks, we'll make it easy. You can click it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Very cool. And is that your GitHub handle as well? It's actually shorter. It's I-R-E-A-D-E. -E. That's it. Yeah. Oh, I can remember that one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I should use that more often, but I don't know. I think I make I like to make it hard for people. There you go. <laughs> yeah. Make sure they really want it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Good deal. Yeah. Well, uh, thanks for coming and talking to me for a few minutes. And yeah, no problem. Yeah, I'll encourage people to go check out your talk uh, when they get yeah. the posted. Yeah. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Thank you. This episode is sponsored by Sentry.io. Recently, I came across a great tool for tracking and monitoring problems in my apps. Then I asked them if they wanted to sponsor the show and allow me to share my experience with you. Sentry provides a terrific interface for keeping track of what's going on with my app. It also tracks releases so I can tell if what I deployed makes things better or worse. They give you full stack traces and as much information as possible about the situation when the error occurred to help you track down the errors. Plus, one thing I love, you can customize the context provided by Sentry. So, if you're looking for specific information about the request, 
you can provide it. It automatically scrubs passwords and secure information, and you can customize the scrubbing as well. Finally, it has a user feedback system built in that you can use to get information from your users. Oh, and I also love that they support open source to the point where they actually open source Sentry if you want to self-host it. Use the code devchat at sentry.io to get two months free on Sentry's small plan. That's code devchat at sentry.io. Hey folks, we're still here live at Jamstack Conf in San Francisco, and I'm sitting here with Sean, is it Urquhart? Urquhart, yeah. Why don't you just tell us a little about yourself? Cool. Well, uh, yeah, I work for Netlify. I run the Netlify CMS open source project. I've been in de- development for about 10 years, pretty much all front end. I've done a little bit of everything. I've done the big, the big corporate stuff. I've done freelance. Um, I've been with Netlify for about two and a half years. Been leading the Netlify CMS project the whole time. Right. Um, and so my focus has been the Jamstack and using Git-based content management to simplify the CMS story for Jamstack sites. Right. That makes sense. Yeah, it's actually interesting because I've talked to some of the sponsors here at Jamstack Conf and some of the CMS vendors, they, yeah, they, ha- they have a back end that's not Git, right? It, right, exactly. It's a custom back end. Yeah. As I talked to them, I was like, you know what, I kind of need it on Git because, you know, we're, we're doing a Jamstack site for devchat.tv and I want people to be able to submit pull requests and things like that. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, so it works. It works really well for that, um, and it's you know kind of what I went over in my talk is, and it's a story that we just we really have to start telling a lot. Where you know a static site generator really already knows what it wants. It's already mm-hmm. really opinionated, and so it wants to see Markdown. Fi- and again, this isn't you know there's some like Gatsby and some and uh, right. uh, what's the other Nuxt, Nuxt uh, Gritsum yeah. um, that are uh, pretty futuristic, and so they they can take content from anywhere. And yeah, um, but generally static site generators want to see Markdown and YAML files sitting in your repo. And so the idea was always that uh, you know a developer can write those things and they're happy to write them. And so you you don't really need a content management system, right. but at scale you do. Everyone isn't going to yeah. write those things. Everyone doesn't know Git, and so you just have this a little job where you need someone to be able to type things into a traditional CMS UI, and then out the other side you get that markdown and all that stuff in yep. the file system, and then Git provides that bridge. You have your repo in GitHub and mm-hmm. you're able to just basically build blobs and trees and push commits. Yeah, for our team, for example, we have six show notes writers mm-hmm. and content manager. All of those people are not developers, right? right. And so right. Yeah, I tried to get them to learn Markdown and then I gave up on trying to get them to learn Markdown. <laughs> you know, you know, I'm sure you've heard this story before, right? Oh, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, so I need something else, right? And we were on WordPress before, but... Managing WordPress was a headache, and I was the one that had to do it. So we hooked Netlify CMS up, and it it worked pretty well. There are a few things I wish it did that it doesn't. Sure. But it's like, okay, you know, just go in and, yeah. It's interesting. It's still a pretty nascent space, you know, and... One of the interesting things about Git-based content management is that it makes a lot of old problems new again, problems right. that have long been solved. And I've heard people kind of gripe about this, and I, I, I can't say I disagree. For example, simple things like relations. Mm-hmm. I create an author in WordPress, and then you know I can assign that author to a post. Like that's, mm-hmm. You have a relational database sitting there. It's very simple, but when everything is in Git, it's not as simple. There are a lot of edge cases and a right. lot of weird things. There's how many requests do I need to make to get everything I need. Um, so it's very doable, but again, it's a new problem. We don't have all the, the perfect solutions. And so um, people come in, they like the value proposition, and then they, but then they run into some things and they go, eh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go back to WordPress or I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to use right. this headless CMS over there. So, and, you know, so it's, it's still pretty new. It's got some, yeah. some growing pains. Yeah, I think the thing that I'm running into is something very similar to that where, you know, we have podcast hosts. Mm-hmm. 
And so, you know, I, I have a bunch of metadata for it. Same thing with the podcasts themselves, right? Right, right? I've got, you know, here's where the image is stored. Here's where the, here's the title. Here's, you know, all this other information about it. And Netlify CMS works really well for managing those markdown files, but it doesn't really give me a good way of managing the data files. Is it one markdown file and one data file per episode? No. Oh, because you have one data file with a bunch of metadata for different episodes. No, the metadata goes into the markdown file for the episode, but the podcast itself, the overarching show, all the metadata for that goes into its own file. Okay, gotcha. And so if I want to create a new show, it'd be nice if I could just go in and say, okay, you know, create a new data file for it. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You should be able to. If you send me some info, I can, I'd be happy to help you. Awesome. <laughs> I found myself ending a lot of conversations that way with people here. Yeah. We go through stuff and they say, well, I tried it, but I ran into this. I'm like, well, send me your info. <laughs> yeah. So I'll help you out. But that's really what it comes down to for me is I, I, need, to, I need to stay on top of you know, implementing it over and over oh, yeah. again so I can stay close to what people are actually experiencing. Yep. You know? so. Yep. But uh, I've been pretty impressed with just how robust it is. Nice. Because you know, my, my team, they can put in whatever it is that we need for the show and it, right, right. you know it goes in and then of course I'm the nerd that goes in and edits the markdown directly right, right. <laughs> yeah you know, CMS yeah edit the markdown with git based content management we had I don't know if I should this is being recorded I'm going to say it anyway I had when I first started Netlify I wanted to make a blog post called Netlify CMS sucks and our, our uh-huh. co-founder Chris just didn't laugh didn't think it was uh, I never brought it up again but my my, and of course I don't think it sucks but my my point was we kept having all these people come in and say oh well WordPress does this oh well this does that and it's like if you don't value Git based content management Mm -hmm. if that's not the reason you're here go use a different CMS oh yeah because it's that's the value proposition, and you're going to give up a few things for the sake of having that Git-based story that I went yeah. over in the talk. We have this tiny CMS; it lives on a CDN. I mean, it's all simple, that stuff. it's clean, it's yeah. nice. It's, yeah. a, it's almost a non-entity in your stack. You could you could add Netlify CMS today and remove it tomorrow, and you'd never even know it was there. You know, and that's kind of the beauty of it. And yep. So we're and and you know as we go forward, we're working on the robustness and all that. But yeah, the the Git base is the value. So if you right. if you value that, maybe it's worth it. You know? Yeah. And if I remember right, it actually connects to the GitHub API and yep. Yeah, we got a, we have a backend registration where you can. Um, so we have a GitHub backend, a, a Bitbucket, GitLab. A lot of the community contributed to those. We have one of our uh, Tony Alves, one of our longtime maintainers. He created a Firebase backend. Oh wow! For Nellify CMS, I'm like David Tony. This is not what we're doing here. But it, it works yeah. though. You know, it can. T- it's really just you know whatever API you want. I think. And I think one. They ultimately, I don't talk about it because it, you know, but, but down the road, it should be able to work with any kind of API. Right. You know, that, that makes sense. But right now, there's, I mean, we have to tell this Git story because it's hard for people to even wrap their heads around just that, just yep. that part of it. You know, I was talking to the Forestry team about that earlier. Like, we have to get this Git-based content management story out. And once we can really, once that's a thing that people are talking about, then we can look at, yeah. hey, Netlify CMS is actually a dashboard that can pretty much do anything. So right now, we just really want to empower Like Firebase. Story. <laughs> <laughs> sure. Do it. So, yeah. Yeah. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting, though, the possibilities. So. Yeah, it makes sense. What's kind of the genesis of this? Was it your idea? Was it somebody no. else's idea and you no, built it? Or? No, it was our Matt Billman, our CEO, uh-huh. who is uh, 
responsible for for so so much. Uh, he actually wrote multiple content management systems. Right. Uh, over you know he worked at an agency where they had I can't remember the number. Uh, it's gotten into legend now. It's like twelve thousand sites a year, but it was some crazy amount uh-huh. of volume they were doing. And he built this uh, kind of in-house CMS for that. Turned into a service called WebPop. I think he built another one at some point. So when he was starting Netlify, he created Netlify CMS in Ember and right. just kind of put it together. It did the job. But the whole the whole point was it was never about you know making a play to have this CMS that's the best CMS. Right. It was always about, hey, look, Git-based content management is a thing. Mm-hmm. And it can be done in a way that's open source so that, because when people come onto the Jamstack, invariably one of the first questions they ask is, well, what do I do about content management? Right. So we wanted to have an easy open source answer mm-hmm. for that that was supported. And so we provided that and we've continued to support it. It's always been, you know, myself and, and one other guy since like, you know, early 2017 when I came right. on board. And that's kind of been it. So just enough enough investment that's, it's a solid investment, but it's right. enough to just kind of keep things moving and keep momentum and, and be able to support the community. We have a great, great community. Um, I think we're up to well over 200 uh, contributors to the repo so mm-hmm. far and, and a whole, whole lot of downloads. So it's, it's gotten a lot of traction. So. Nice. So I, I guess the other thing that I'm wondering about is you said that it was originally built in Ember, or a version of it was built in Ember. It was, yeah. It was originally in Ember. And because of the atomic deploys on Netlify, that, that version can still, you can still load it. We have a link somewhere. You can pull it up. Right. But we ended up moving over to React before, right before I got there. I think it was uh, Brian Douglas, uh, who used to work with us. <laughs> Somebody else's pain. He, We've he had Brian it. on the show before. Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, everybody loves B-Dougie. But he was the one, I, I believe, that was, uh, that actually took the thing and pulled it from member over to React, Mm -hmm. which I think was a great move. The React community has so much momentum and uh, so great to work with. And and so we've, you know, Nellify CMS is really it's a React single page app. We're going to eventually get it to where it, the whole CMS is a React component. <laughs> and, oh, nice. uh, and then everything that's in it is, is already a component. All the widgets that you register, mm-hmm. it, they're all components. And so it's just, it's a very, very front end way to do things. Right. So so I guess the other question I have then is, is you're talking about it being open source mm-hmm. and, you know, it's a single page app and it's just deployed out there on Netlify like anything else. Sure, sure. So... Is this something I could run on my own? It doesn't have to be run on Netlify. No, you can you can run it however you want. It's it's literally just a, a you know a JavaScript file that we're bundling with Webpack. You can build it anywhere. You can have your own fork of it that you know bypasses our backend system mm-hmm. and you know does anything. I mean, again, really, it's just it's just a React UI. Right. Um, and we just happen to be using it to reach out to these specific APIs to. To handle things, but I mean, there's there's really not a lot of limits. If you wanted to run it, yours. I mean, there are people that are running it on S3. If you uh-huh. go into our, and we've been and we've been really intentional about that. We're trying to change the name, actually. We don't <laughs> we don't want people to think that people come to Netlify and Netlify is this amazing platform doing all right. these great things, and there's all these engineers and people that are investing in it. And Netlify CMS, we're not. It's not the same thing. And so people right. see all the quality of Netlify, and they come to Netlify CMS, mm-hmm. and it doesn't quite do what they need. And then they and they go to the support team, and they're and they're like, well, we don't really. And so we're, we're trying to say, look, you know, we support this initiative, but not only do you not have to use Netlify, you can use this thing anywhere. Right. So in the docs, we have links to different things that people have created to be able to run this 
on, um, like I said, Amazon S3 was one of them. I'm trying to think of some, I'm blanking on, on the others, but there's, you can run it Docker literally container. anywhere. You can literally anywhere. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. So. Google, what is it? I can't remember, but yeah. Google cloud, something or other. Cloud, <laughs> Google cloud platform. Sure. My, my brain was going to GCP and I couldn't uh, remember what it stood for. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, or Microsoft Azure. Yeah, exactly. You can, you really could run it anywhere. Yeah. They can host us, you know, those, those static files and then they can, you know, right, right now the back ends, we we're going for where people are. So GitHub, Bitbucket, mm -hmm. GitLab are the ones we have now. Right. Uh, we have a lot of requests to get. I think it's there's a Amazon has their own kind of Git provider, and so right. that's you know that's something that we'd like to see hopefully come from the community. And then uh, there was a lot of ask for uh, Microsoft's thing as well, but that's kind of died yeah, down. Azure DevOps. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's died down since yeah. they acquired a certain yeah they acquired <laughs> github so, so that's not i still hear now. people having angst about it but they haven't done anything horrible with yeah. it yet so when i went on to microsoft a few months ago and i and saw it i went on to i think i was working on an azure pipeline and i saw a sign in with github link and i was like this is the weirdest thing i have ever seen on the internet this is so strange but it's yeah my yeah. i mean it's yeah Microsoft has really embraced open source, so it's, if it's somebody good to hear. had to acquire GitHub, I mean, okay, Microsoft, yeah. <laughs> like that's you know they've they've kind of proven themselves as as much as you could ask them to. Yeah, know. well, and you hear scary surveillance stories about Google or Facebook or some of these others. Sure. Yeah. You know. Yeah, it's that's a tough rap to beat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know. So. Yeah. I mean, I'm not saying Microsoft isn't doing it, but I'm not hearing right, right, any yeah. scary stories. We just don't know, so yeah. that's that's better. Yeah, yeah, they're either sneakier or they're right. not doing it. Anyway, I'm sure it's okay. There we go, conspiracy theories uh -huh. on JavaScript Jammer. But, but yeah, that makes sense. So, so I'm kind of envisioning because you know, I've kind of been an ops guy okay. for a long time. Gotcha. You know, and then I was a Ruby developer, and you know, then I've done a bunch of JavaScript on the front end, and so. Yeah, just kind of this movement, you know, I like to control the tool chain. Mm -hmm. And since we're using Netlify CMS on Netlify, I'm just sitting here going, yeah, but what if we could put it on our own thing, right? And so, Running from a server in my basement. That's right. And so, you know, yeah, I just, it, it was kind of a curiosity for me. Sure. So is there a back end for it then that you know, just manages the connection to GitHub or whatever? Or? Yeah, I mean, the, and what we call a backend, you know, again, this, this whole thing runs uh, in a JavaScript file in your browser. So when we right. say, you know, quote unquote, backend, we're just talking about a file that is mapping from, you know, GitHub, for example, from their API to a common set of methods that right. we expect from every backend. Yeah, I'm guessing so, it's an Express app or something. Right. Well, it's not even that. It's really just, um, it's just, it could because you can make, you can call to GitHub's API. We need to auth through somewhere. Oh, I see. So you've just done just We're going straight from the browser. Yeah. yeah, yeah, exactly. And so, and Netlify actually provides a freebie auth server that you can use with localhost. And then, if you have a Netlify site, then you can register a auth for that. And so. Mm -hmm. That takes care of that because that's always the tricky part is the authentication. But you know, Netlify kind of takes care of that for you, and then you can uh, from there go straight from the browser to GitHub or to Bitbucket and right. make those API calls and do all right. that stuff. So that that's where everything is happening. The, no, that makes sense the because then it just there. makes the API call, and since you've already got an authentication token with GitHub, then it mm -hmm. just works. Yep, exactly, exactly. So you don't have to play with the back end at all. No. That, no, that, that makes yeah. a lot of people who are front end people very happy. It's very, it's very empowering. Yeah. <laughs> it just works. But again, you know, we're just we're looking at Git, and and these Git providers are really implementing Git in their APIs. And I mean, GitHub is 
I mean, they're so great to work with their API. There's oh, yeah. so much you can do. Can't tell you how many crazy things I've wanted to do. And this is this is the V3. This isn't even to speak to the, the work they're doing on their new GraphQL API. Right. Even with V3, there's some crazy, you know, Git commands that you can pull off through GitHub's API, and right. it's, it's so super helpful. And, and then now with the GraphQL API, you can really reduce a ton of those. We were, that's the thing we're seeing now is we have, we're, we're bringing on a new uh, full-time maintainer now named Arez, and before we started hiring for that position, Arez, like before we even posted it, he wasn't really trying to get a job or anything, but he, he just showed up. He rewrote our GitHub backend, which is one of the most, you know, difficult to work with areas of the entire code right. base. He completely rewrote it to to work with the GraphQL API, which was something that I wanted to do. I was like, I don't have time to rewrite this. Right. Thing. But he did it, and, and it so, works. Yeah. And he was like, Well, I was I implemented it for my uh, someone that was you know had a site, and I saw all these requests, and I was like, Well, how can we make this better? And so he just did it. So nice. it's using the option. It, it's in beta, but it's you know it's using the GraphQL API, and so now it's using way less requests. So using uh, Git API over the web is getting better mm-hmm. and more and more viable and so so yeah it's pretty exciting nice I guess the other question I have then is if people want to contribute to it right they mm-hmm. see it and they're like well I have this special case and I want to add something to sure Netlify CMS or you know maybe they just see something like this right and yeah. it's like well there's this other API that you guys don't take advantage of yeah. and, you know how do people get involved with that yeah, you just hop on GitHub. Well, first of all, NetlifyCMS.org is the site, and so you can go there. We have a, a page, I believe, that's titled Community, and so that has information about how to you know, just get in, talk. We have a chatting Gitter that I'm hoping to migrate over mm-hmm. to Slack soon and some other, some other channels. Um, and then beyond that is the GitHub repo. You can right. get on there, look at issues, open issues. If you want something, there's a good chance there's already an issue open. Right. And so we really want people to go onto those issues, and if you thumb up the original post for an issue, like that is the way because I can sort by how many reactions that issue got yeah. to really get, that's that's the best metric we have for gauging what everybody really, right. really wants. And the next thing we're working on is pretty much based on that metric. Mm-hmm. So that's the best thing you can do. And then of course, like you said, if you want to contribute something and maybe it's not that high on our radar, like a, you know, Amazon Git provider or whatever their Git provider thing right. is, you know, you could, you could write that and contribute it and, you know, just be ready to respond to whatever we say and maybe you know that's uh, that yeah. I always feel bad we have these people that come in and do such awesome work and we value our contributors we value everything that they do and um, and so but there's always a little bit of back and forth to get, make sure we're getting what right. we need for everyone no that um, makes sense but yeah yeah we're, we're very very open to contributions yeah we've had that conversation with several open source maintainers on the shows at various times is that Yes, you made a contribution. Yes, it's valuable. And yes, you created a whole bunch of work for us so that we can make sure that it fits well, right? And so, yeah, a lot of times we, we get that caveat where it's like, yeah, you know, we, we may be slow. We may have a bunch of questions. Right. We may do a bunch of validation work on it. Right. And we may not accept it right away because we just don't have the time or bandwidth right now yeah. to make yeah. sure that it fits, right? Yeah. That it that yeah. it's in line with what we want. Yeah. So, yeah, that makes sense. But yeah. I can also see somebody looking at it and saying, I want to get involved or I see something here that mm-hmm. I want to do mm-hmm. and it could be a bug fix it could be right. a spelling mistake it yep. could be you know and, yep. and things like that are yeah, are super small. easy and you know and then yeah Sean takes a minute and he looks at it and he goes yeah that's a spelling mistake and right. he fi- you know you accept yeah, it's pretty small request, yeah, you know? exactly yeah. so yeah it's you know we're very open to that 
and you know Netlify CMS is such a great place to learn. Um, yep. We haven't dug much into this. I'd like to get into really mentoring and setting up a community that has a, mm-hmm. a culture of mentoring because it's a front-end project. You're writing React. There's so many simple issues you can yeah. get if you just learn. Um, and so I really want to make sure that we're you know in the future hopefully being able to take better advantage of that. And so yeah, so yeah we want to stay open to those pull requests. But the community's been really forgiving with our sometimes taking time to get things in, especially yeah. when it's a big pull request kind of thing. So. Yeah. Well, into the mentorship point too. I think a lot of people they're they're like, well, I want to mentor, and they're not really taking into account that they have to do a bunch of work too in order to make the mentorship yes, work, yes, right? Yes. And it's so time. it's time. And so yeah, you know, if you want to get involved, you want to get. I mean, and this is something I tell people anyway. I wrote a book on how to get a job as a developer, and it's nice. You know, you know, if you wanted to work at a company like Netlify, I mean, this is a good way to get to know people at Netlify, sure, right? Sure. But the other thing is, is that. Yeah, you know, if you just want the mentorship, if you want to be involved, yeah, go submit these pull requests, you know, start the dialogue, and then you'll get feedback. No, this doesn't fit with the project. No, this doesn't fit with the style that we do these things in. You can take the steps then to learn, okay, so what do I need to be doing? What Mm -hmm. kinds of things do they Mm -hmm. want me to be working on? And then you can, you know, as you move up, then it's like, okay, well, I kind of trust you at this level. Right. And so then you can learn things at the next level. Right, absolutely, absolutely, yeah. And I totally agree. I'd, if I, you know, found myself without a job right now, I would find where I wanted to work that had some kind of open source culture. Yep. I would hit their open source repos and just knock their socks off. Like that's yep. that's your best, and it's not guaranteed. They don't owe no. you anything. It's open source, but that's your best shot. <laughs> like that's well. The thing is, know. is then what happens in a lot of cases, especially if they're actively involved in those open source mm-hmm. projects, right. is then you know, boss guy comes in and says, we need a, another coder guy right. or coder girl yep. come in here, right, yep. yeah. and knock it out. So then they're going to go, well, this yeah. guy, Sean, he's yeah. contributed 20 pull requests, exactly. right? Yeah. And we've accepted 10 of them, yeah. and we're working through the other ones, but they look pretty good. Right, right. right. You're already top of mind. Like you right. Can't, you can't get and, that in an and, and they don't have to train you on right. how this stuff works. Yep. So it's yep. it's a win-win, you <laughs> yep. know? You just Absolutely. showed them that you're less work to hire yeah. than somebody else. Exactly, exactly. So and yes. that you're, you're super interested. So, yeah. yeah. Yep, agreed. So I guess the last question I have is, is let's say that I want to set this up for my team, you know, we're going to unplug at least that piece, right, from mm-hmm. Netlify. Sure. How do you set it up? Like, what goes into it? Do you just pull the library in and just... That definitely works. The most popular way to implement Netlify CMS, so really you have the CMS that, that you know, it's just a, it's a JavaScript app. It has a config file, and, you know, you have to write in so it knows, you know, where your files are and what mm-hmm. fields to edit and all those kinds of things, what widgets you want to use. The easiest way to start is to use a starter. Um, and so if you go onto our doc site and hit that get, get started button, I think we're like featuring three starters right now. We just have three links, but we really need to get like a whole page of starters because right. they're, they're out there. But we have like a Gatsby starter that's easily our top entry point. Right. So, you know, um, I, there's an 11D yeah, starter. Yeah, we're using that, 11D. Yeah, Andy Bell just made an 11D starter, starter called Hilia that uses Netlify CMS. Um, and I actually put a PR in because I wanted to see how I hadn't worked with 11D with Netlify CMS yet. Mm-hmm. And so I, I set up a really cool system with their Nunjux templates where it's reusing. It works pretty good. Yeah, it's reusing the Nunjux templates and it's rendering them in the browser and it's super, super cool. Starters like that already give you a site that you know, looks decent, has a, has a config that's already mm-hmm. set up for the CMS, and then that gives you that starting point to go. So that's definitely what I recommend. Worst case, if it totally doesn't fit, at least now you've played with the CMS in context text and then you yeah. kind of know where to go from there. So. Yeah. Well, we're using it anyway and I'd like to be able to 
essentially, yeah, start contributing back, right? And nice. so it's, hey, we need this feature for our 11D setup, and then, yeah. you yeah. know, we can either contribute it back or we can say, well, you know, here's this little thing that you can uh-huh. sideload on it or yeah. whatever, yeah. right? Absolutely. Yeah, There's you know. th- th- those integration points are really the hot area right now that we're going to be focusing on is, you know, how, how does it, what does it look like to integrate a Gatsby site or an 11D site or right. a Hexo or Hugo or Jack or whatever, you know, how do we integrate these uh, these static site generators? And because that's where all the pain points really that we're hearing are now. Yeah. You know, so that's kind of where we're focusing next. Yeah. I, I guess that's another thing that I hadn't really thought about asking, but it seems pretty obvious is you're writing a CMS that works with, like you said, Gatsby, Jekyll, whatever. The weird right? thing you made, whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Hugo, maybe. I mean, you sure, know, yeah. Oh, yeah. Right? Hugo's a primary, yeah. So, how do you target all of these different systems? Because in some ways, they're all structured kind of the same, and in yeah. other ways, they do things just a little different. Um, so, it's mostly through ignoring <laughs> the static site generator, which is what we're now doing the opposite of. Oh, I gotcha. Um, so when you ignore the static site generator, you say, I don't care what your static site generator is. Just tell me where to put everything. Markdown, YAML, JSON, TOML. Yeah. That's it. And then your static site generator can decide what it wants to do with those files. Right. So that works really great. But then you have a super-powered static site generator like Gatsby or Gridsum that are doing these crazy things or Nuxt. Uh, we had yeah. Sarah Drasner who uh, just loves Vue and so she's working with Nuxt and I assumed it would just work and she's like, no, I'm creating a custom Nuxt module and like two weeks later, she's like, yeah, I'm still working on it. <laughs> like, oh, it's, a whole, it's a huge pain and I'm sure it's because she probably didn't touch it because she was busy with other stuff but yeah. it's, a, it's a pain point. And so we've gotten to a certain point by technically working with anything by ignoring everything. Right. Now we need to say, okay, everyone's using mostly, you know, Site generators A, B, and C. So let's make happy paths there. So right. we have like we have a Gatsby plugin that we mm-hmm. made about a year ago. I was going to say, are you using plugins to say this one does this and that one does that? We're getting there. We're yeah. getting there. I thought we could avoid it, but there, we cannot avoid it at all. So um, we have a, a Gatsby plugin. So if you go to uh, Gatsby's plugins page and you, uh-huh. they're all like automatically sorted by npm downloads. So right. you scroll through the first CMS plugin you see is Contentful, naturally. Mm-hmm. And then um, the next CMS plugin you see is Netlify CMS, which is actually surprising to me because there's so many huge CMSs that I'm sure people are using with Gatsby, so maybe they don't need the plugin so much or they don't, you know, some of them don't have a plugin. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but a lot of people are using that Gatsby plugin, and I estimate at least half of Netlify CMS sites are probably Gatsby. Oh, so wow. we really, and I think that's probably conservative, so we really need to make sure that that path works so we have that, and it might be due in a large part to that Gatsby plugin. Right. So that's, that's kind of patching into their webpack build and doing horrible things to it that we shouldn't be to build our <laughs> to build our CMS within theirs. Yeah. And that and for anyone that's listening to this that uses Gatsby and Netlify CMS and you think that last thing wasn't funny because you're experiencing these crazy long builds, um, uh, we have our our new maintainer of res and his first thing I'm putting on his desk when he gets in on Monday is to work on that problem. So that's um, so those pain points, those integrations are definitely top of mind for us right now. Yeah, well, that, that makes sense, right? And again, it just comes down to who's using it, what do they yeah. need, yeah. Where, you know, where's that pain, right? 100%. For a while, yeah, it would have been putting the content where it needed to go mm-hmm. or, you know, structuring this or structuring that. And yeah, now it's, okay, well, I'm a subcase of your case, right. Gatsby, right. and so, mm-hmm. you know, that's what we need now. Yeah. So yeah, yeah. I can I can see that. Totally. I don't know if I have any other questions for you. I'm I'm assuming you're online somewhere where people can find you. Yes, Twitter, I am. GitHub. <laughs> I am. I am uh, at Urquhart, my last name, and no one can spell it, but it's E R Q U H A R T, and uh, that I'm that on Twitter, on GitHub, and and everywhere. So that's the, the yeah. place to. 
to find me. So my website sucks, so there's no, <laughs> there's no point giving, <laughs> giving that out. One day I'll work on it. Yeah. But that's it. What nationality is Urquhart? It is actually Scottish. Scottish? And it is Norn. There's, there's a mount, uh, castle. <laughs> I know my family history. Uh, it's a castle <laughs> called Urquhart in, uh, in Scotland. It's the Scottish name. It normally starts with the letter U. And so that's the, and so it ended up being an E for my family, but yeah, Scottish in, in origin. I am not Scottish. <laughs> so, a lot of questions there. Yeah. <laughs> so, Good deal. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, thanks for coming and uh, talking Absolutely. through this with us. Cool. And let me complain a little bit about some of my issues with Netlify CMS. I love when people complain to me. Jack, it's, just, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> oh, you should be paying me then. Huh? Is, that what, is that what I'm hearing? This is therapeutic. I love this. Yeah, yeah. Oh, I should be paying you. Yeah, that's. we'll talk. I'll bill you. Yeah, there we go. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, thanks, Sean. Awesome. Have you ever felt like JavaScript is just everywhere? Well, we have. We actually had a conversation on JavaScript Jabber about what you can build with JavaScript. We've also talked about what JavaScript is and how we're inspired by the language. If you're interested in JavaScript or are doing web development, then you definitely need to check out JavaScript Jabber. You can find it at javascriptjabber.com. Hey folks, I'm your host, Charles Maxwood, and we are live at Jamstack Conf in San Francisco. And I'm talking to Tammy Everts. She's the CXO of SpeedCurve, and she's gonna be speaking, are you speaking tomorrow or? Tomorrow today? morning, 11.30. Right, but I, I get this access to the speakers and. <laughs> you know, so so anyway, you, the conference will be over by the time you hear this, so it won't matter. But yeah, Tammy was telling me a little bit about some of the stuff that she's talking about tomorrow with website performance, specifically with JavaScript performance. I've been wondering about this too. I mean, devchat.tv is built on the Jamstack, right? Yeah, I pulled in all these third-party scripts, and then I wonder if it if it's going to bog it down or, you know, what the implications are. And, you know, Google gives me a decent speed, so, you know, score. Okay. Oh, so you're using Google Lighthouse scores yeah. on your pages? Okay, cool. Yeah, so I'm watching it, but, yeah, I wonder still, you know, because, I mean, getting a good Lighthouse score is, it means that I'm doing, you know, it's not going to penalize me on SEO, mm -hmm. but I still want a great experience. Hey, folks. People are coming to the website, so. Yeah, I love the Lighthouse scores. I think they're really helpful. We've actually, we've, we've integrated Lighthouse with Speed Curves, like, so we obviously oh, nice. think they're really helpful so you can get Lighthouse scores when you use Speed Curve. The caveat with Lighthouse, though, especially for JavaScript performance, and then especially for third-party JavaScript performance, is it's just giving you little synthetic snap, like, you know, snapshots of how things are actually performing. So what it's not able to capture for you are all of those moments, and there are definitely moments, with, especially with third parties, when your JavaScript is failing. Right. And you can have a great Lighthouse score and still have chunks of the day, chunks of your week, when you still have really unhappy users. Oh, really? Yeah. We're sitting here in the glamorous lounge area of the conference. Yeah, we're, we're out here yeah. in the sponsor area. And <laughs> I put some stickers out so people can pick them up. So. Awesome. So yeah, so really user monitoring is kind of like a, it's like a movie. It's like looking at what right. all your users are doing. You probably know all yeah. this, but for the sake of your, your listeners. Yeah, I installed some of that scary third-party JavaScript to watch them, right? Yeah. That's where you can actually drill down and figure out, oh, okay, well, what are, how are your scripts actually behaving in the wild? Right. So when you have unhappy users, is it because the JavaScript is impacting the page, or is it because their JavaScript isn't playing nice with somebody else's JavaScript? Yeah, it's a good question. So there's a couple of things that are happening with JavaScript, or there's more than a couple of things, but right. loosely we can put things into two buckets. So you can have 
JavaScript that is like blocking JavaScript. Right. And everybody knows you're supposed to avoid that and load your JavaScript asynchronously whenever you can or defer it if possible. And blocking JavaScript is obviously a big problem because your pages won't render and right. you've got a bit of blocking JS. Um, and people kind of know about that. But then there's this kind of like lesser known or in some some people it's completely unknown thing, which is just that you can have non-blocking JavaScript right. that still is making your pages really janky because it has a high blocking CPU time. And that's a metric uh, that's kind of new. It's really uh -huh. only been available in um, kind of the, the, the mainstream performance tools right. in the past little while. Like Google just added it. Uh -huh. uh, we added it at Speaker a few months ago, or maybe, maybe it was a year ago. Time goes by really fast. And so what it's measuring is just how long it takes for the JavaScript on the page to kind of settle down and stop crashing. So like a right. kind of 50 milliseconds after that point. And then uh, you can have pages that have no blocking CPU, the uh -huh. JavaScript size is constant, the number of scripts on your page is constant, but your blocking CPU, I'm gonna draw this in the air, because I know people love that in video podcasts, yeah. <laughs> but basically your, your blocking CPU time can be this crazy wavy line on a time series chart, right. because it's it's going up, it's going down, it's performant, right. it's not performant, all depending on, on kind of how it's rendering on the page. I gotcha, so is this something that I'm gonna see, or am I am less likely to see on like my high-end developer machine than maybe on a, a phone that has, you know, just one CPU in it. Yeah, if you if you look at, so the, the nice thing about, you know, kind of using synthetic tools or looking at your real user data is with synthetic, you can adjust your parameters, you can test across a variety of different devices. And yeah, you'll, you're, you're going to see higher blocking CPU times on mobile devices, right. but you'll still see them on desktop, right. definitely, especially with third parties. Interesting. So how do you go about figuring out if you have this problem? You do some type of testing. Okay. So you can use Speaker, you can use other tools to measure right. this. Um, Google Lighthouse measures it now. You can see when you get your scores, you can see uh, blocking CPU time. Uh, you can see metrics like uh, time to interactive or first CPU idle, all of these metrics that kind of are meant to give you a gauge of right. just, you know, how, how things are performing in terms of your JavaScript settling right. down. So, like, yeah, Lighthouse does it. Um, we do it at Speaker. So pretty much any synthetic tool, I think people are, are finally right. catching up and adding this now that it's being supported by the browsers. Gotcha. So I guess the other question is, is are there general rules of thumb that people can just follow to avoid some of these issues in the first place? Yeah, I mean, I think the first rule of thumb is just reduce. It's like it's like it's like the three R's of recycling. It's uh -huh. like you know, reduce first. Like right. make sure you've got the Java. Make sure that all the JavaScript on your page actually needs to be there because right. I look at a lot of waterfalls uh -huh. um, with what I do on a daily basis, and I have calls with customers where we look at waterfalls together, with speaker customers, we look at their waterfalls together, and these are people who are pretty on it, and they'll look at a waterfall on a page and they're like, why do we have that there? Right. You know, what, what is that script even doing? I thought we got rid of that a while ago. And so yeah. you still got to, you know, rogue scripts that are just kind of little ghosts that are, are, are you know, right. possibly hurting performance. So that's one. Monitor. Now that you can track things like blocking CPU time and you can actually ideally kind of graph them alongside other metrics like total JSIs or um, number of scripts in your page, or, uh, you can actually take this to the vendors themselves and say, look, I know your, your, the size of your script isn't changing and, and the number of requests that you're making isn't changing, right. but 
you're doing you're doing this, I'm doing the wavy line in the air again. You're right. doing this to my pages and sometimes vendors just don't know. So I think right. kind of working with vendors and helping them the best vendors want to be better. Right. So I think having just a friendly relationship with them and letting them know so that they can look into what the issues are at their end. Right. And yeah, then and then doing things like, you know, you can set performance budgets on yeah. your on all of your metrics, uh, that or at least the ones that matter. And uh, and include, you know, your CPU metrics there as well. Right. One other thing that I'm wondering about is if because you know we have people that work on all all, all parts of the stack, right? And so, let's say that one of our listeners works for one of these vendors. What kinds of things can they test to make sure that it's not going to cause these problems? See, that's more of a developer question. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I couldn't even hazard a guess. Pull, pull it into a page and make sure that it's not yeah, doing like, these kinds of things. And actually test it across a variety of devices, a variety right. of connection types, that sort of thing. Like, don't just kind of do this whole, like... You know, yeah, we're kind of just testing on two or three different browsers, two or three different device types. You know, kind of, I think it's something that people can easily lose sight of is just how the cohorts of of their users or audience kind of fall across a lot of different geographies and bandwidth types and things like that. Makes sense. What exactly does Speed Curve do in this arena then? Uh, thanks for asking. So this is my little, little product pitch. We, uh, we do uh, synthetic and real user monitoring. So um, our customers use our tools to measure a variety of metrics. So kind of do the synthetic testing that I was talking right. about earlier, where you kind of configure different test scenarios, test environments, and then right. you gather your data over time so you uh-huh. can see if you're getting things, if you're, if you're making things better or worse. Right. And uh, kind of monitor trends, and including um, specifically tracking individual third parties, which is a really right. helpful thing to be able to do. Kind of see who your your poorest performers are, set right. performance budgets on them, so that you get alerted whenever your uh, metrics go out of bounds for any of those those poor performers. And then in the, on the the real user monitoring side, is actually just look at the entire breadth of your users right. and see what how they're experiencing your site. And then the kind of cool thing that you can do with RUM, because we're also capturing things like um, bounce rate, or you can add things like your conversion rate data, you can actually do really interesting mashups in your in your charts, right. where you can look at things like the impact of the total JavaScript or the total blocking CPU time on your page or any of these other metrics on conversions and on bounce rate. And right. so you can, see some, you can create really, really interesting correlation charts, which I'll be showing in my talk tomorrow. Very cool. So if people want to try out Speed Curve, is there a place they should be going to do that? Yeah, we offer a free 30-day trial. Um, they can just go to our website, speedcurve.com, and there's a big free trial button up in, up in the top right corner, just nice. like every other SaaS vendor out there, so pretty easy to find. If they have any questions at all, they can um, actually email me directly, Tammy at speedcurve.com. Awesome. If, if people want to follow you online, are you on Twitter or anywhere else too? Yep, I'm on Twitter um, at Tam Everts, T-A-M-E-B-E-R-T-S. Okay. Uh, is a good place to find me, and then I also write on the Speaker blog, so which is available on our site. Very cool. Well, thanks for coming and talking to me for a few minutes. Yeah, thanks and, for having uh, me. And yeah, I'll encourage people to go check out the talk. I'm assuming they're recording them, and if they're not, then sorry you missed out. <laughs> <laughs> I think they are being recorded. So, I think yeah. so too. Awesome. Thanks. All right. Well, thanks for being here. Yeah. We're shaking hands, everybody. There we go. Yeah. <laughs>
visually dictate, and then I lean back. It's over. <laughs> Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com to learn more.